It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. This is the most bizarre election I have ever covered, and I have covered a lot of them. This morning, after staying up late last night, so if I seem a little uh, incoherent here, you'll cut me a little slack, I am sure. This morning, liberals, Democrats, people on the left, are, are celebrating as if the Democrats won the election, and yet, it is still possible that Republicans will end up controlling both houses of Congress, but the much ballyhooed red wave. At one point, Axios had the red tsunami watch clearly failed to materialize, and it's the Republicans who are disappointed. Now, obviously, this could change minute by minute by minute. The battle for control of the Senate will not be decided today, will not be decided for days, may not be decided until December. Uh, And that's the most fascinating part of this. It is still extremely likely that the Republicans will have a majority in Congress, but it may just be that Kevin McCarthy has a margin of a handful of seats as opposed to the predictions, those red wave predictions, of uh, a 30-seat margin. Now, that obviously makes it more difficult to govern. But the thing about our system is, even if you control a House, I mean, look, look at the Democrats with the 50-50 Senate majority with Kamala Harris breaking ties. Even if McCarthy controls the House by one or two votes, he's still the speaker. He still controls the floor agenda. He still has Republicans um, chairing all the committees, holding hearings, investigations, subpoena power. Yes, it means that you can only, when you get into these battles where you have some defectors, you could then only lose a certain number of members. And that's what Nancy Pelosi had. You know, she only had, in effect, uh, about a three-seat majority. So it's a little surprising to me that all the cheering is going on, but the punditry and the polling was really off. And I don't exempt myself from that. I wasn't expecting a huge red wave, but I was expecting certainly uh, that by the time we woke up this morning, that Republicans would clearly have won control of the House. But a lot of those districts, uh, bellwether districts, you could see in the coverage last night. I have a lot to say about the coverage last night. Everybody did the best they could, but man, it was contradictory. It was confusing. It was, don't pay any attention to these numbers we're putting up on the magic wall. It was really something. Um, and so, despite the fact that we don't know whether the Democrats will control, it's just, you know, what happened was it's dodging a bullet. And there's a lot of people uh, saying, basically, that Donald Trump is responsible for the Republicans underperforming. I mean, clearly, with Joe Biden at 44, 45 percent approval rating, which actually isn't that different 
than what Trump had and what Obama had. But of course, they suffered big midterm wipeouts, shellackings, you know, ass whoopings. And this is not going to be anywhere near that magnitude. So just when the, when the media sort of came out of denial and the consensus formed that there'd be a significant red wave, and then some of the liberal sites this morning are saying, oh, it's just a red ripple, which isn't that far off. Um, and we're bracing for big Democratic losses in both houses. And the Democrats themselves were engaged in this sort of premature finger-pointing exercise. And it turns out they didn't do that badly. And so maybe President Biden's strategy, which I was critical of, of operating somewhat below the radar, except for the rallies of the last few days, you know, going to safe places like New York, where, you know, you're trying to help blue state candidates. And giving a speech on democracy, I still think that didn't help. But, you know, maybe people are so unsettled by, you know, you name it, uh, the hardline candidates, the MAGA Republican candidates that Donald Trump recruited, the repercussions of January 6th, some of the election deniers running for office, and there was a split verdict there. Some of them were elected. Many of the more extreme ones do not appear to have been elected. And maybe they just wanted some stability. And so Biden, rather than making it about himself, though he certainly did take all these whacks at Trump and the MAGA Republicans, and was in an awful environment, you know, with inflation, really high, with people really nervous about the economy. The table was set for a big Republican night. And a lot of forests are going to be consumed for newspaper accounts of, uh, you know, what went wrong for the Republicans, why they didn't have a huge night. When everything seemed to be in their favor, concerned about crime, concerned about the economy, concerned about inflation, all very real. But there were these other concerns, too. And I think the abortion rights factor ended up being underestimated. I mean, the consensus from all the geniuses in the media, including me, was that, you know, it was a hot issue over the summer and it kind of faded because when people were asked in polls and again, the polling here was awful. Um, when people were asked in polls, um, you know, what's the most important issue to you? Abortion really, was really way down. But that doesn't mean it wasn't a motivating factor for a lot of women, not that women should be the only ones caring about abortion rights. And we'll get to all of that. So I think the maybe biggest surprise of the night in the battle for control of the Senate, and let's uh, get you up to date here, was John Fetterman beating Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania. And it wasn't that close. I mean, Fetterman had about a two and a half point victory. And I think Democrats just closed ranks behind Fetterman, despite the disastrous debate performance. I think they ended up giving him a pass on that, feeling that he's going to improve 
as he recovers from the stroke. Um, he was more familiar to Pennsylvania voters. He got rehabilitated to some degree by the media with a series of friendly interviews with closed captioning. And Oz, you know, was not a great candidate, made a lot of mistakes, did sort of seem like a carpetbagger coming over from New Jersey. Oprah Winfrey, who made Oz, who made him into a famous television personality, endorsing Fetterman. And that's a takeaway from what had been a Republican seat in Pennsylvania. So that gave the Democrats a leg up. So it now comes down to, you know, I mean, J.D. Vance won in Ohio over Tim Ryan, who everybody thinks ran a really good sort of working-class-oriented campaign, but he lost by 6 or 7% and conceded. Um, but it wasn't a takeaway because Ohio already had had a Republican senator. So it now all comes down to three states, Arizona, Nevada, and Georgia. Um, and this is why we may not know this for a while. In Arizona, you look at the raw numbers, and Democratic Senator Mark Kelly has about a six-point lead over Blake Masters, one of those MAGA Republicans recruited by Donald Trump. However, there's a lot of votes still to come in that favors Republicans, and so the question is whether that could give Masters enough to catch up with Kelly. My guess is he probably falls short, but who the hell knows? Whoever, whichever party wins two out of these three races controls the Senate. So the Dems are stuck at 48. They need to get to 50. They get to 50. They've got the same situation that they have had in this Congress. Then there's Nevada. Now, Adam Laxalt, son of former Senator Paul Laxalt, uh, has about a three percentage point lead over the Democratic incumbent Senator Catherine Cortez Masto. There, however, Nevada watchers say there's a bunch of votes yet to be counted that would favor the Democrats. I'm still not sure she makes up that difference, but not being an expert on Nevada politics, I mean, if the Democrats somehow win both of those, then it's over. They control the Senate. But if it's a split, let's say that Laxalt hangs on in Nevada and Kelly hangs on in Arizona, then you have Georgia, where the lead seesawed all night and Raphael Warnick is now about a half a percentage point ahead of Herschel Walker. There's a third candidate who got about 2%. So with uh, Warnick, the last time I checked, it was is at about 49.2 or 49.4%. Um, if neither guy gets to 50, there's a runoff. This is what happened last time. So it's possible that that Georgia runoff, which would take place on December 6th, will decide control of the Senate. This is the same thing that happened last time when Trump went down there, made it about him, and Warnock was able to prevail. Now, Herschel Walker, for all of the negative press that he's gotten, certainly stayed competitive. I mean, it's like a one-point race. And impossible to say. So three states, whoever wins two of those, controls the Senate. 
Now, in other notable races, I want to get into some of the ones that got a little bit of attention, but because of the great drumbeat of who would win control of the House and Senate, which, of course, we still don't know, got a little overshadowed. So Carrie Lake, the former Phoenix anchor, who was already being talked about as Donald Trump's running mate, uh, is about one point behind Katie Hobbs, the Democrat who refused to debate Carrie Lake. However, there's a bunch of votes to come in in Arizona, as I mentioned earlier, and Carrie Lake only has to make up about 30,000 votes, and I think it is probably likely that she'll end up winning. If she doesn't, she'll probably say it was fraud because she made pretty clear that she was going to accept the result only if she won, but maybe it will turn out differently. In any event, this is, that's a tighter race than we might have expected. Now, in Maryland, Wes Moore became the state's first black governor in a landslide over a very weak uh, Trump-backed candidate. Literally a landslide. And he's not only the first black governor of Maryland, He's the third elected black governor in American history, or at least since Reconstruction. And I've mentioned him before. He is a very charismatic guy. He is a military veteran. He's become an instant national figure. Um, You know, maybe 15 years ago, he used to bounce around various green rooms and uh, make cable news appearances. And you could just tell, like, he had something. He, he just had that, that talent to connect with people. And it's kind of amazing that many of these states, there's only been three black governors. And I just think he becomes an instant national figure. Uh, and then in Massachusetts, where there has been a Republican governor, a popular one, Charlie Baker for several terms, Maura Healey, wins, becomes the first female governor of Massachusetts. It's kind of amazing when you look at it, given that women are half the population, how many states have only been either governed by whites or governed by men. First female governor of Massachusetts. And, as has been widely touted in the coverage, the first openly lesbian woman to win the governorship of Massachusetts. However, in Oregon... If Democrat Tina Kotek can hang on, she has about a one-point lead, and that's a three-way race. She is also openly lesbian uh, and would succeed a governor who is openly bisexual. So things are changing. I mean, there was a time 10 years ago when, you know, some states had gay marriage, but the idea of nationalized gay marriage under Supreme Court ruling seemed far-fetched, and now... I mean, I think it's great. I think it's tremendous that I'd like to get to the point where it's not even notable anymore. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And then you had Ron DeSantis in a landslide. An absolute landslide in Florida. I mean, literally trouncing Charlie Crist. 
the former Republican governor of the state who became a Democrat. And DeSantis gave a speech about, you know, we're going to take on the woke left and all of that. And you got to give him credit. He barely squeaked by four years ago, and now he's a national figure. And the question is whether he runs for president. We'll get more into that in a moment. But it also shows you from some other results in Florida as well. Florida is no longer a swing state. It is now a red state. It's a big loss for the Democrats that it's not even competitive because it makes it harder to put together an electoral college victory. Now, I mentioned abortion. So hardly surprising in the, in the referenda that were up that California and Vermont, both liberal states, uh, were adding abortion rights to their constitutions by wide, wide margin, about two to one uh, in the Golden State. Uh, but then in Kentucky and Montana, uh, you had an interesting result. Kentucky measure would clarify the state constitution contains no right to an abortion. The Montana measure would require health care providers to try to save any infant born alive, including after attempted abortions. So keeping an eye on that. Now, looking at the coverage a little bit this morning, and then I'll get into the craziness of last night. Washington Post, if Republicans don't take the Senate, they will be or should be a reckoning over how that happened. Oz has lost the biggest blow because he probably wouldn't have won his close primary without Trump. Herschel Walker was simply not a good candidate. He's not out of it yet. But Trump put him on a glide path to the nomination. And in Arizona, Blake Masters is also someone voters were reluctant to cast ballots for. Politico, which has a good knack for sort of boiling things down, several prominent Trump-backed candidates lost without much of a whimper, including Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania. He got trounced. Uh, he was very far to the right and a guy who wanted to challenge the election results. And Pennsylvania Attorney General Josh Shapiro beat him pretty handily. Um, Dan Cox in Maryland, I mentioned, you know, lost. he was a Trump guy, lost badly to Westmore. And then they mentioned some House candidates. Uh, you know, the certain bellwether races like Abigail Spanberger in Virginia wasn't clear at all that she was going to win. And she did end up winning. And then there was Maggie Hassan. And, she, and Maggie Hassan, you know, there were, a lot of the punditry was like, oh, Maggie Hassan's in trouble. And she was. But she pulled ahead in the final week or two and beat Don Bolduc, another Trump-endorsed guy, former military guy, uh, who tried to, you know, what they did is in the primaries, they were all like, yeah, the election was stolen and uh, I'm against abortion. And then they tried to clean that up, Bolduc among them. Blake Masters among them too. Republicans began to express concern were not the results were not what they had expected. Senior party of officials, says political, vented that in too many contests, candidates outside the mainstream or candidates had embraced positions adopted by Trump that were too far outside the mainstream. Politico says, and I got and I was just getting into this, Biden defied expectations when he seemed destined for a catastrophic loss, just as he did 
when he was left for dead in that South Carolina primary back in 2020, which, you know, saved his presidential candidacy. And when he got his legislative agenda through, I mean, he talked a lot about, and a lot of these were bipartisan bills, and I've gone, and I always said, well, it's looking backwards. He's passed those bills, infrastructure, computer chips, helping ailing veterans, and then there was the Democrats-only bill um, on corporate taxes and health care. But he's got to look forward. Well, you know, Biden wasn't even going to come out. Maybe make a statement, maybe not take questions. That may change today. 2024, he's running, said a senior White House official. I mean, if he doesn't, it just changes the perception of Joe Biden, who's now going to go off uh, tomorrow on a foreign trip, G20. Um, if he, Even if he loses control narrowly of both houses, it is not the drubbing, it is not the shellacking that everybody in the media and politics expected. Politico also has a piece on Ron Klain, the White House chief of staff, who sort of doubles as the political director. Uh, yes, there is a political director in the White House, but you, they're not very visible, these people. People like Jen uh, O'Malley Dillon, or Jen Dillon O'Malley. I never get that straight. I'll have to work on that. Um, and others who stay behind the scenes. But Ron Klain tweets and goes on TV. Uh, growing concern among many of Klain's loyal devotees that his own run in the job could soon be coming to an end. People want him to stay, says Jen Psaki, but staying for years in that job is almost inhumane. He does work round the clock. I've known Ron Klain for many years. Uh, there's a contingent of Klain fans and loyalists who see him as a generous, responsive, and capable boss eager to offer advice and counsel on politics, policy, and messaging. Um, whenever he leaves, Asaki will be a huge loss. Uh, three administration officials intimated, intimated, that's an interesting verb, that Biden himself has urged Klain to stay. Now look, if Democrats had gotten clobbered, Ron Klain would have been blamed because he basically, you know, would tweet about gas prices are coming down because of the latest thing that we did kind of a stay-the-course approach, and democracy is on the ballot. Uh, yes, inflation is a problem, but we're working on it. And they often came back and said, okay, Republicans, what's your plan? You take over the House? Maybe you take over the Senate? What exactly are you going to do uh, to get inflation down? And the thing is, if Republicans only control the House, they'll pass a bunch of bills that will basically be symbolic because they won't have the Democratic Senate going along. Even if they control both bodies, you know, President Biden can issue a lot of vetoes and takes two-thirds to override him. So basically, Biden's future agenda is at stake. And again, even if Kevin McCarthy has a two-vote margin in the House— that means probably Biden can't get anything through. So it would be more a question of trying to preserve the gains of the two years from a Democratic point of view. Now we get to Trump. Even some on the right are not happy with the former president. Um, here's Maggie Haberman saying, Trump had to be talked out of announcing his own presidential campaign on Monday night. I talked about this yesterday. He was going to go. The GOP was apoplectic because that would boost Democratic turnout even further. 
Well, everyone knows he's running. I mean, I don't know. It becomes a, it becomes a waiting game at this point. He was talked out of it by advisors, family members, and Republican leaders, says Maggie in the New York Times. Now expected to make a very big announcement November 15th, a week from yesterday. Um, advisors say that Trump is quicker to anger, frequently in a state of near rage about not being president anymore. And she talked about his violent rhetoric, particularly at this rally about Nancy Pelosi, where he called her an animal. And I just went off on this. I mean, it's sort of like, have you no decency? The woman's husband was almost murdered. And you choose that moment to say she's an animal? I, I just don't get it. I, I think that kind of rhetoric turns off even people who like Donald Trump but maybe think it's time for the Republican Party to move on against him, move on uh, beyond him, I should say. Nevertheless, I mean, he runs, he's got the nomination. But does this embolden a Ron DeSantis? And, you know, Trump had this, uh, well, Ron DeSantis better not run because uh, I know a lot of stuff about him, you know, kind of threatening to expose, I don't know what he thinks he knows. Um, you know, the, Trump himself said, you know, I made DeSantis, he shouldn't run. Trump's lawyers are like, it would be career suicide for Ron DeSantis to run. Interesting decision for the governor now to make. And um, at his uh, rallies, he uses increasingly violent rhetoric. This is, again, uh, observation by Haberman. Threaten future jail sentences for reporters to coerce them into revealing their sources lest they face rape by other prisoners and wants the death penalty for drug dealers. Okay. So watching this stuff last night it was, was crazy town. Because, first of all, I do want to mention one other thing, and, and it fits into last night. Stacey Abrams got whacked by Georgia Governor Brian Kemp in their rematch. Wasn't close. She lost by eight, nine, ten points. She readily conceded. And Beto O'Rourke has lost his third campaign. Remember, he failed in the governor campaign against Greg Abbott. Then he decided he should run for president. He failed there. And then he sought a rematch with Abbott, and he lost again. Spending a combined total on those three campaigns of, I don't know, $160 million I read somewhere, uh, you know, there was this piece in the Atlantic about superstar losers. I mean, is it time for the Democrats to move on beyond these celebrities like Beto and Stacey? But the reason I bring that up is in the very, very early hours of the coverage, like 6, 7 p.m. Eastern, you'd see a number. Stacey Abrams up, you know, she's got 60% of the vote. Um and then the anchors and the correspondents and the commentators would have to rush in and say, and the people at the Magic Wall, you know, Bill Hammer on Fox, Steve Kornacki, MSNBC, John King, CNN, um, would have to say, look, don't pay any attention to this because it's early and only a few parts of the vote have been counted and it's only coming from this one area, or don't pay any attention to this because, um, you know, this or, or, you know, this early vote has been counted but the same-day voting hasn't been counted. Uh, you know, they were constantly saying, don't pay any attention to this blur of numbers that we are putting up. It doesn't mean anything. Don't believe your eyes. 
And it was, you know, I mean, I know this stuff pretty well. And it was, you know, my eyes were glazing over. So they were constantly, and there was, you know, too close to call, too early to call. Race after race after race after race. And I had said early on that if Maggie Hassan, the senator, Democratic senator of New Hampshire, lost, that would mean, you know, a very big night for Republicans. Well, it was too close to call, too close to call until it wasn't. And she won pretty easily against Don Bolduc, as I may have mentioned earlier. But again, for a long time, too close to call. Georgia, too close to call. Uh, Pennsylvania, too close to call. And it was certainly call for Fetterman after I went to bed. And then, you know, there were other races that were easy to call. Not only uh, DeSantis in Florida, but Marco Rubio in Florida won very easily against Val Debbings. Sarah Huckabee Sanders winning in Arkansas. First female governor of that state. Obviously, she's got the Huckabee name. Her father, Mike, had been the governor. Um, And I don't think she was ever going to lose. So, you know, they would hype up, okay, at 9 o'clock, more polls are closing, and then therefore they could, you know, deal with putting up the numbers and the projections. But but no projections. 10 o'clock, Nevada, too close to call. And on and on it went. And maybe that's why the New York Times published these tips for people, meaning Democrats, about how to stay calm on election night, such as breathe like a baby and plunge your face into a bowl of ice water. Well, maybe some Republicans this morning need to try the ice water treatment. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Uh, Another thing I want to mention before I come back to Trump is the way the three cable networks covered this. The Fox coverage was led by journalists, Brett Baer and Martha McCallum, you know, with panels of people and partisans. CNN coverage was led by journalist Jake Tapper. Wolf Blitzer, not part of the primetime coverage for the first time in almost two decades, so passing of a torch there. But again, led by journalists. MSNBC went with an all-liberal panel. Rachel Maddow, you know, Joy Reid, Nicole Wallace, Ari Melber, Chris Hayes. And so I just mention this because people often think that Fox is politicized. You know, on this big night, journalists, CNN, journalists, MSNBC, um, all liberals. And they actually got more happy as the night went on. Now, here's a fact, you know, you you just can't escape the shadow of Trump. Here's a fascinating uh, thing that Trump did. He said in an interview with News Nation about Republicans, well, I think if they win, I should get all the credit. And if they lose, I should not be blamed at all. (laughs) Just stop that tape and think about that for a second. Heads, tails, it's it's such a Trumpian comment. Uh, But it'll probably be just the opposite. When they win, I think they're going to do very well. I'll probably be given very little credit, even though in many cases I told people to run. Yeah, he he did tell people to run, and a lot of them lost. And so they had had this lavish victory party at Mar-a-Lago, and uh, there wasn't that much to celebrate. Trump came out, talked to reporters. Interesting evening. Yeah, it was. Um, I want to come back to one other point, talking about the reaction of people on the right. So you have the author and podcaster of The Daily Wire, 
Ben Shapiro, very influential conservative. Here are some of his takeaways. Republicans wildly underperformed and heads should roll. We'll see about that part. There's a lot of hope for the Republican coalition, given their performance with Hispanic and black voters, but their candidate quality was poor and their leadership was either absent or counterproductive. This is Ben Shapiro. Trump picked bad candidates, spent almost no money on his hand-picked candidates, and then proceeded to crap on Republicans who lost and didn't sufficiently bend the knee. This will have 2024 impact. So, again, I don't know if we're going to see a competitive race on the Republican side when Trump announces, which, as I've talked about, he's doing in part because he can't stand being on the sidelines, wants to be the center of attention. And look, if he gets the nomination and he runs against Biden, who'll be 82, although Trump, you know, also in his late 70s, um, I meant 82 by election day. Who knows what will happen? But I think it's pretty clear that as happened in 2018, as happened in 2020, when Trump, or it was under Trump, that Republicans lost the White House, the House, and the Senate, and now 2022, where again, they may even have nominal control of both houses, but this should have been a huge night, given the state of the economy, given a pretty unpopular incumbent president. But Trump is even more unpopular, and even with parts of his own party. So he'll run. He will probably win the nomination. I think his running also has to do with protecting himself in the DOJ investigations. And we'll all be forced to talk about him because you media, you know, the people who say, oh, you don't, you're giving Trump oxygen. You should just ignore him. He's not even on Twitter. Well, he may be back on Twitter when Elon Musk gets it together. By the way, you know, Musk getting heat for cutting Twitter staff in half. Mark Zuckerberg announcing the layoffs of 11,000 people at Meta and Facebook. So he's had an even worse year. And more on that in future podcasts. Uh, so it's kind of odd. It's it's not that Democrats are necessarily going to win. Although, if Democrats hang on to the Senate, that is a big victory given this environment. They may not. It will all come down to these final races, as I say, Nevada, Arizona, and Georgia. People like, see what people like Herschel Walker and Blake Masters can win. But there's no question, given the expectations, and there's got to be a lot of soul-searching, as I said at the top, among pundits and pollsters, for once again getting it wrong, except in the direction we didn't expect. I mean, it just the table was set. Economy, crime. And yet, you know, New York Governor Kathy Hochul People said, well, Lee Zeldin, I mean, he ran a pretty good race. He got to 47%, but she won pretty easily. First elected female governor of New York. Obviously, previously she was governor because of Andrew Cuomo stepping down. So a lot of hype went into, uh, you know, this one and that one, and the Democrat is endangered, and not so much. 
when people actually turn out to vote. The people get to decide. And what they have fully decided will become clear in the coming days and weeks. With that, thank you for listening. I feel like I should do this podcast every hour, maybe every two hours to update. But this is it for the day. I'll be back tomorrow. Hope to have you along for more BuzzMeter. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.